Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. In the church's calendar, today is known by the delightful but rather complex name Quasimodo Geniti Sunday. Pretty fancy sounding, isn't it? Well, how does Newborn Baby Sunday sound? A little more comfortable on our 21st century years? Okay then. The reference in calling it Quasimodo Geniti, or Newborn Baby Sunday, is to baptism. In the early church, new members were baptized during the Easter Vigil and then received Holy Communion for the first time on Easter Sunday. The newborn believer in Christ, buried into Jesus' death and raised again in the new life in Jesus in the water of baptism, is then gathered to the breast of Holy Mother Church and fed on the milk of God's Word. This nourishment is just as important to the faith as milk is to a newborn baby. As St. Peter wrote in his first epistle, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so, as newborn babies, we feed on the milk of John's Gospel, chapter 20. We are nourished and satisfied with the first Easter appearance of Jesus to the disciples and then again one week later to Thomas. In this text, with His words and with His wounds, His breath and His Spirit, Jesus makes apostles out of His disciples. Apostles, of course, means sent ones. And Jesus sends them with the authority to forgive and retain sins in His name. He gives His followers the gift of the holy ministry, a wedding gift from the risen bridegroom to His holy bride. Our Lord had risen. Peter and John had seen His open and empty tomb. John had observed the folded burial cloths and believed that Jesus had risen. Mary had seen and touched Jesus. He had called her by name, and Mary had believed. She told the news to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Jesus' work was done. His battle cry of victory had thundered from the cross. It is finished. Redemption had been won for all. Now, Beginning that first Easter evening, Jesus was out to win all to His redemption. The disciples were all gathered together in one place. The doors were shut. They are set apart from the world. In the world, but not of the world. That little room sounds a little bit like church, doesn't it? Well, it is the church. Fear brought the disciples together. They were afraid for their lives, afraid for the future, afraid of those who had clamored for the crucifixion of Jesus. Those who had killed Jesus would surely come from, for them now too, now that the rumors of His resurrection were beginning to circulate. What is it that you fear? What keeps you locked in, locked up, or locked away? Is it fear of violence, suffering, disease, or death? Fear of persecution, punishment, mockery, loneliness, 
isolation. Fear limits us. It locks us into ourselves. It locks us up in our own little rooms. It keeps us away from one another, both from our fellow Christians and from those who still do not know Christ but need to. Fear makes life a prison, a fortress against the forces that threaten us, both real and imagined. Our fortress may be the car, the bedroom, our office cubicle, or a bar stool. It's wherever it is we go to hide from others, from the world, from our family and our community, and from God. Fear is the fruit of unbelief. It's a breaking of the first commandment, a failure to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Fear is what happens when we trust in things or in ourselves above God. Into that little fortress of fear, filled with the disciples' anxiety, comes the gentle, wounded shepherd, once for sinners slain. Jesus comes humbly and quietly. He doesn't break down the doors. The one who burst forth from the tomb and descended into hell to declare his victory without even bothering to roll the stone away has no need to break down locked doors. He doesn't even bother to knock. What would the fearful band of disciples have done if he had? Would they have let Jesus in had he knocked and waited for their invitation? Would we today? No, we wouldn't. Knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus. Yeah, right. Bolt the doors, Peter. Yet the good shepherd does come to his sheep. The sheep do not come to him. He comes as the lamb who has given his life to save them. He comes and stands in their midst. Jesus had been there all along, of course, really present, just not seen. Now he lets his disciples see him as he is, risen from the dead, the one who died and now lives is really present for his disciples in a new and profound way. The first words that Jesus speaks to them are words of absolution. Peace be with you. And his words give exactly what they say. Peace. As he told them before his crucifixion, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. His peace, his peace comes amidst our turmoil and unrest, both in the disciples' day and ours. I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Lamb had conquered death by dying, and now He comes in peace to bring life. What comfort Jesus' words of peace must have brought to the disciples. They had all failed Him in His hour of glory. Peter had denied Him three times. The rest had all abandoned Him. None of them had believed His words that on this day, the first day of the week, He would rise from the dead. None of them had trusted Jesus with His own death nor did they now trust Him with their lives. Their hearts were filled with fear. Yet Jesus does not berate them for their disbelief or chide them for their lack of faith. 
Instead, he comes graciously to them, speaking of peace. His peace is real, as real as his wounds, the nail marks on his hands and the scar in his side pierced by a spear. From these rich wounds comes the peace about which Jesus speaks. Note well these wounds, for these wounds heal you as well. They heal you from the disease of your sin and your death. Recall those wounds when you recoil from life and its turmoils and its upheavals, when you are threatened and filled with fear and are locked up in your room, despairing for your life. His are the wounds from which cleansing blood flowed upon the wood of the cross for you. They are your peace. The wounds mark Jesus as the crucified one, the one whose body was nailed to the cross. This was no imposter or spiritualized phantom Jesus, but a genuine flesh and blood Jesus, risen from the dead. This Jesus is recognized by His wounds, the marks of Calvary. His words and His wounds turn the disciples' fear into joy and into gladness. They were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus was with them. There was nothing for the disciples to now fear. His wounds swallow up their fear and ours. Nothing can be done to us that hasn't already been done to Jesus, and He has done it all with His death on the cross. With His first words of peace, Jesus absolved His disciples and quenched their fears. And then He speaks a second time, Peace be with you. Now, with this second word of peace, He sends them to absolve others and to quench their fears. As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. As Jesus was sent by His Father to be His authorized representative, to speak on His behalf, so now Jesus was sending His disciples to seek and to speak on His behalf, to give out His gifts, the gifts He won on the cross for a dying and a damned world that refused Him and often still does. He breathes on them and speaks the words that deliver the Holy Spirit. With His breath, God made dead clay into a living being. With His breath, God breathed life into the dry, dead bones that Ezekiel saw. His breath and His words create and renew. With His breath, Jesus breathes the life of the resurrection and He resuscitates His church. This event in that upper room is a little Pentecost, anticipating the big Pentecost which would come seven Sundays later. At that later time, Jesus would breathe on His whole church with the sound of a mighty, rushing wind. Here, Jesus breathes His Spirit upon those He was sending out in His name to be His apostles. It is their ordination day. Jesus was not giving them the Spirit in order to make them His disciples. They already were His learners and His followers. Here, the Spirit is given so that they might be sent to speak the peace of Jesus' death and resurrection with the confidence that it is by Jesus' own breath, words, and Spirit. It is given so that they might lead others into confidence in His death and resurrection. This is the same Spirit of which St. Paul spoke 
when he reminded Timothy at his own ordination. Hence, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. Jesus breathes his words and his spirit into his disciples so that the forgiveness of sins might be heard in the church. Anyone whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Anyone whose sins you retain are retained. He binds His words to their mouths. His forgiveness to their forgiveness. He puts His disciples under holy orders to deal decisively with sin by applying His saving death. Dealing decisively with sin is what the church is for. It is a mouth house of forgiveness to forgive the sins of those who wish to be rid of their sin and to live now and forever, and also to retain the sins of those who would rather die and be damned forever. It all comes together in that little sentence in the small catechism where the penitent who has made his or her confession is asked, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? And as we know, this is as certain and true as if Christ our dear Lord were dealing with us Himself. It comes in the way of His incarnation, with His words and His wounds, His breath and His Spirit. Jesus leaves no doubt as to where His Easter gifts are given out. There, in the speaking of the absolution, the gifts of Jesus' perfect life, His suffering and His death on the cross, and His resurrection are delivered surely and certainly to the ears of the hearer. The forgiveness that Peter, James, and John and the others spoke was not their own. They had no forgiveness of their own to give. They were in constant need of forgiveness themselves. Rather, forgiveness belongs to Jesus, the crucified and risen One, the One who died and rose for you and for all. It was His to win by the dying, and it is His to speak through those that He sends to speak it. But Thomas was not with them that first Easter Sunday. He hadn't been to church. Poor Thomas. Skip out on church and you miss out on all of the giving out of the gifts. The other disciples do not leave Thomas impoverished for long, however. In their joy, they go out and they find him. We have seen the Lord, they tell him. We might call that outreach or evangelism. And notice, they didn't avoid taking on the task themselves and depend on a committee of other people to do it. They just did it. And they don't berate poor old Thomas for having missed church or load a heap of guilt on his head either. There wasn't any, where were you on Sunday? We didn't see you in church. Instead, they tell him about the risen Lord and about His gifts. But Thomas doesn't yet believe. He has not yet heard Jesus' words or seen His wounds. And so, Thomas expresses the doubt with which his name has become forever linked. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. In spite of his lack of faith at that point, Thomas is correct in one important respect more correct perhaps than he could have possibly realized. 
For without the words and the wounds of Jesus, he could not believe. As we learn about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. Faith comes by the hearing of the Word of Christ. With His words and His wounds, His breath and His Spirit, Jesus creates faith. And then He feeds that newborn faith that He has created. The following Sunday, the disciples are again together. Again, the doors are shut. Again, they are set apart from the world in a world by themselves. Thomas is with them this time. Again, Jesus appears in their midst. And again, He speaks His words of peace. Peace be with you. Again, He shows them His wounds. He invites Thomas to touch them, to put his finger in the nail prints and his hand into Jesus' side. Be not doubting, but believing, Jesus says. And His words and His wounds have their faith-creating way with Thomas. My Lord and my God, Thomas confesses. Who is the Thomas or the Thomases in your life? Who has not heard Jesus' words or seen Jesus' wounds? Is He your unchurched neighbor? A spouse? A co-worker? A family member? Maybe it's even a congregation member who heard them once but has now forgotten or rejected them. Thomas is whoever in your life is dying without the words and without the wounds of Jesus. Thomases must be sought out, called on, gathered into the room, brought into the real presence of Jesus. Thomas is of concern to all who have dined at Jesus' table, all who have heard His wounds, heard His words, and handled His wounds. We, too, are Thomas. We were not there at Calvary when they crucified our Lord. And we were not there that initial first day of the week when Jesus appeared to His disciples. And we weren't there on that second Sunday either. But not to worry. We can't go to Jesus. But He comes to us. Jesus comes to His disciples on the first day of every week. And that's St. John's point. Every Sunday is an Easter And in Christ, every day is a first day of the week, a new creation. The crucified and the risen Lord is continuously present with His disciples, with His words and His wounds, with His breath and with His Spirit. We do not see Jesus explicitly, but He is no less present for us than He was for His disciples in that locked little room. And we are no poorer for it And we may actually be richer, for as He told them, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Indeed, we are blessed in the not seeing. We have His words of forgiveness spoken to us and His Spirit breathed upon us. We eat and we drink His body and His blood. Those rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified are gloriously present and presented to us even though they come to us in the lowly forms of bread and wine. Jesus gives out His divine gifts through the office that He has established through His words and through His breath, 
so that you too may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Jesus is here among us with His words and with His wounds, with His breath and with His Spirit, with His forgiveness and with His peace, in word and in supper, in holy ministry. These are the resurrection gifts that Jesus gave to His church. They are His gifts to you too. Here, today, on this first day of the week, and we, the children of this blessed marriage of Christ and His beloved bride, the church, we receive them as new creations in Christ, as newborn babies in the faith. Blessed Quasimodo Genitai, in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.